0: I want you to open your Bibles to Joshua in chapter number 6, Joshua chapter 6. After today, we've just got two more messages in our Lessons from the Holy Land series that we've been doing this summer. And today we're going to look at Lessons from Jericho, Lessons from Jericho. Joshua chapter number 6 is where we're going to be. Joshua 6, verse number 1. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, and none came in. By the way, you spell that siege. They had laid siege to the city of Jericho. And the Lord said unto Joshua, verse 2, See, I have given into thy hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. Ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once." Thus shall ye do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow with the trumpet. So the first six days they walked around the city one time. The seventh day they walked around the city uh, six times. Verse number five. <clears throat> and it shall come to pass... When they make a long blast with the ram's horns, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. And so God gives the directions there that they were to do. And then He says, if you'll look with me in verse number 18 giving instructions as to what happens when the city falls and ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it but all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord they shall come into the treasury of the Lord and so the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets and it came to pass, when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, that the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Verse number 1 of chapter 7. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Let's pray. Father would you today open our hearts and our minds and give us dear God the things that we have need of. I'm grateful for the joy of being in your house. Thank you for uh, ministering to our hearts already. Thank you for the fellowship we had earlier for the food that was brought and now we come before you as needy children asking That you would do in our hearts and in our lives, Lord, that which only you can do. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it. Dear God, speak please today. Lord, please work in hearts. Please convict us. Please instruct us. Please inspire us. God, please help us, I pray today, um, to hear your voice down deep inside who we are. And help us, dear God, to to experience your touch in this service and help us to respond in the way, Lord, in which you would have us to respond and we'll give you gratitude and thanks for all that you do. In the name of Jesus we pray these things, amen. Moses led the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. And he brought them. It was a bit of a detour because God said, you're not able. And so instead of making a very fast journey right to um, the doorstep of the promised land, he led them around in a way in which they would not be exposed to too much too soon. They weren't ready. But he brings them to the banks of the Red Sea and Pharaoh follows them. And we know the story how God parted the water and the children of Israel walked over on dry land and then Moses brings them through according to God's route according to God's path that God had designed for them and he brings them all the way to Kadesh Barnea Kadesh Barnea was the entrance way it was what I would call the front yard so to speak of the promised land so close that you could almost smell the aroma from the land that God described as flowing with milk and honey the only thing separating them in Kadesh Barnea from Canaan from the land of promise from what we call today the holy land was the Jordan River and I I, I would I would assume that if God had parted the Red Sea and led the children of Israel through on dry ground I would I would I would assume the fact that they did not see the Jordan River as something so formidable. If God can part the Red Sea, surely He can handle the Jordan River. Even though at that time of the year, it was the worst possible time for them to cross the Jordan because it was swollen out of its banks and things like that. But even at that point, it was not nearly as imposing an obstacle as the Red Sea was. And so what happened was Moses sent out 12 spies into the land, to gather a, a, a report of what was on the other side. Two of the men that went out of the 12, two of the 12, they, they saw the beauty. They saw what God had chosen for them. They saw a land indeed flowing with milk and honey and came back with a description of an incredible land that the goodness of God had chosen for them. However, they were in the minority. The majority, 10 of the 12, brought back, this is very important, brought back what God considered and described as an evil report. So I want you to know that whenever we get to a place in our life where God gives us things and God provides us with blessings and we view them in a cynical, critical, negative attitude, God said, that's evil. Whenever we speak of what God has given us, in an evil manner, God calls that an evil report. And so we need to very, be very careful that we do not disagree with God on the gifts that God has given us in life. Now, wait a minute. If, if in my mind, if in my mind I see a land flowing with milk and honey as a land that is not so enticing and not so alluring and not so incredible, then what needs to be adjusted? Does God come back and then God says, well, I made a mistake. No, no, no. I have to adjust my attitude and my outlook and my mentality on it. And so, and, and so what, what was needed in the, in the heart of the 10 people that went over there, they needed to agree with God. And, and I think if we're not careful, I think if we're not careful, the things that God blesses us with, even the people that God blesses us with, we can, we can begin to look upon them and it and whatever in a negative light and we need, to, we need to agree with God and get to the place where we realize that our, our report in the eyes of God is an evil one. All they could talk about was their smallness and the giants largeness. They were small, the giants were big and so after giving that evil report the children of Israel heeded it, turned their back to the land of promise and walked away now I want you to look at me and listen to me very carefully because this is vital when you walk away from what God gives you you can pack a picnic lunch you can you you can bring all the comforts of home but when you turn your back on God's gifts you're not going to ever find true happiness and joy. You're just not going to do it. It's going to be a struggle because what that does, until you get your heart right with God and get back in tune with God and, 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 and recognize the fact that you walked away from God, until you do that, what you have in front of you and around you is wilderness. Okay. You have a wilderness wandering. And so let's, let's, let's agree with God. Now, after 40 years of that, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and so many, so many, many funerals later, Joshua now leads the next generation to the banks, to the shore of the Jordan River again. Okay, they're there again now. They're, they're there for what reason? They're there to claim land that their parents didn't have the heart or the courage to possess. Let's be honest with it. Let's be honest with that, okay? And as parents, if there are certain areas that we're not going to conquer, if there's land we're not going to possess, then guess what happens? Then your children will either follow you deeper into the wilderness, or they're going to have to come back and face enemies and opponents and claim real estate that that you should have faced for them. It's ground you should have taken. It's ground you should have won. It's convictions you should have established. It's principles that you should have lived by. And if you don't, then your children have to fight those very same battles themselves somewhere down the line with their own families and their own lives. And, 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 and so the Jordan River now is swollen over its banks. But it's, again, it's not the biggest obstacle they've ever faced. They face the Red Sea. But what is before them, the greater obstacle is not the Jordan River. It's a city. And it's a fortified city. And the name of that city is Jericho. Now, by chapter 6, where we've read in chapter 6, this second generation of Israelites now have, these Jewish people have gone in and they've laid siege to the city of Jericho. And then for six days they marched around the city. Not a word was spoken. Finally, we know the story. We read it where the priests blow the horns. The seventh day they shouted around the walls. Uh, And and on the seventh time, Joshua commanded the people to shout. And and when they, they, they did, on that seventh time around, the walls collapsed and the city was defeated. Now, if somehow today we could part, if we could, if we could just peel back and part the incredible clouds of thick dust that permeated that city from the weight of those crashing walls there's some lessons that we can learn here okay and I would challenge you to go back and read Joshua chapter 1 where God encourages Joshua who was afraid and so God said to him I think three or four times in that first chapter be be not afraid be not thou dismayed be of good courage over and over why would he say that because Joshua, Joshua was afraid of the weight of the responsibility that was placed upon his shoulders. Okay. There's nothing wrong with being afraid. Okay. God put within us a fight or flight mechanism that is triggered every now and then. What happens is when fear runs amok and we become more afraid of man than we are of God. When our fear of man controls us and so here's Joshua chapter 1 before he can ever lead the children of Israel further God's got to settle some things with him and that is that he's got to trust in the Lord and then we read through that and we get up to chapter 7 and so I would I would encourage you to read those chapters and, and you'll pick up God will speak to your heart you'll pick up on some things that 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 are very important about these journeys that the children of Israel did in the early days when they now have crossed the Jordan and have begun to Penetrate and claim the land of Canaan that God had promised him. Let me give you first lesson. Number one, this is so important. Number one, the miracle is up to God. The march is up to you. Okay, the miracle is up to God. You can't do the miracle. They could have stayed there all day and all night and all month and all year, but the walls never would have fell down. It was formidable. It was a fortified city that was noted for its strength and, and, and the ability that they had. They could have laid siege there for a long time, but Jericho was and is an oasis city, and so they have within themselves the wherewithal to sustain life for a long period of time. And so it's not like Vicksburg... Uh, During the war between the states, when the siege finally crumbled the city. Jericho wasn't crumbling. To take Jericho, there had to be a miracle. And the reality of the matter is God specializes in miracles and, and, and is able to do exactly what we need them to do. You would think, maybe, that God would hand them Jericho on a silver platter. Okay, guys, I want you to take this land. My first gift to you is Jericho. No, 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 no. No, no, no. No, they had to march for six days once. On the seventh day, they had to go around the wall seven times. And, 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 and so, so their first obstacle in their journey was Jericho. And you can't scale the walls. And you can't defeat something that is bigger than you. And so Israel needed a miracle. And I want you to know that God specializes in that. But here's what God wanted to do for Israel. He wanted to demonstrate to them how he was going to win the land of promise for them. And they had a part. Remember I've told you this countless times, there's a division of labor in the Bible. You cannot do what God can do, God will not do what you can do. Now listen to me carefully, you can sit around all day waiting on God to do what you're supposed to do and it'll never get done. Because God's not going to do your part. The miracle is up to God. The march is up to you. And so you can say it any way you want to. I've got to put, put feats to my prayer. All right, That's great. You can frame it any way you want to frame it. But I'm just telling you, we can't sit back on our blessed assurance and expect God to do everything for us. We have a part in this. And so God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring the walls down. And that's my promise to you. But here's what you're going to do. Once a day, for six days, you're marching around the walls. And then on the seventh day, you're marching around the wall seven times. And on the seventh time, they're going to blow their trumpet. On the seventh time, you're going to shout. And on the seventh time, after you've you've done the march, I'm going to do the miracle. that That was the plan of God. Listen carefully. He would bless if they would obey. Can I say that again? He would bless if they would obey. God promised promised to bless. Go with me to Deuteronomy. Would you jump there? Deuteronomy chapter number 30 for just a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Just back up a book. And, And let me show you something here that's interesting in God's instructions to them. Look at look in verse look at Deuteronomy 30 verse 15. This is this is interesting. The Bible says God speaking, see I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. And that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, and his statutes, and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. So Moses now is passing to them his final instructions from God, all right? Verse 17, But if if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away, and worship other gods, and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish, and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land whether thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live forever that thou mayest love the Lord thy God and that thou mayest obey his voice and that thou mayest cleave unto him for he is thy life and the length of thy days, and that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord thy God swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. So here's a simple formula. Ready for this? Here's a simple formula. God said this, If you obey, I will bless. Dude, that's, that's about as easy as it gets. If you will obey me, God said, I will, I will bless you. And by the way, that's not just a simple plan it is still the plan that's in effect today in your life and in my life. Here's what we do. God give us victory. No, 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 no. God help us to obey. Why? Because victory, listen, victory is the byproduct of obedience. You don't don't open a box. You don't open a box and and, and say, "Well, well, I just unwrapped victory. No, no. Victory is delivered to you by your obedience to God. It is victory. It, it, it is victory that comes by obedience. And so don't look for victory just floating out there somewhere where all of a sudden you're walking one day and you're overwhelmed by this sense of great victory. No, no, just obey. Simple. Obey. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. I'm going to write a song about that one day. And 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 so don't listen, listen to me. Look at look me. Listen to me. Don't complicate that. No, no, no. Don't add another point to that. Don't complicate it. You obey God blesses. You obey God blesses. You obey God blesses. It's simple. That's God's plan. And that's what he gave them in Deuteronomy chapter 30 when they were going to enter into the promised land. And that's still the, that's still the way that he works today. We obey God. God blesses us. If you love me, you will what? Do what? Thank both of you. Keep my commandments okay that's simple it's not really hard you love me okay keep my commandments that's a very simple plan number two and this is this is so huge number two god's grace is greater than your past god's grace that's the second lesson number one first lesson miracles god's march is yours it's ours. It's mine. okay. second thing is that God's grace is greater than whatever your past may be. When the children of Israel were going to enter into the Promised Land, Joshua, he doesn't send out twelve this time. He sends out two. Okay. Well, he's sending two spies out into the land to check it out and to bring back a scouting report and, and uh, a mission to gather intelligence information. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this, shockingly, and they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Now, if, 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 if your gray matter is still engaged this morning and you're not in a sort of a slumbering stupor because of the uh, breakfast casseroles and the chocolate milk and the donuts, if you're still alive and working here this morning, you got to know when you read that scripture and these guys go into a harlot's house your mind is thinking what in the world are they doing there why in the world well here's the reason why because in this culture in this culture this is basically i don't know how to say it any different it's a bed and breakfast in this culture harlotry prostitution was not frowned upon because they were pagan they weren't living according to the moral scruples and the moral principles of the word of god and so nobody looked down and and just you know would say in fact in fact when they went to her house it was the place they would be least suspected oftentimes in a city when you entered the city there would be red tile and the red tile would lead to what we call today the red light district okay that So so when you walked into the gates of the city, you would spot over there a red a red pathway, tiled in red tile, and it would lead you to that area of the city if that's what you were looking for. And so when these two guys showed up at Rahab's house and knocked the door, they could go in undetected and unsuspected by anybody there. Nobody would think a great deal about it. And so and so when she's called when she's called a harlot, it wasn't tabloid sensation. It was just fact. Now look at me. Listen to me. You'll never truly appreciate a sculpture until you first of all realize the unattractive rock that it was hewn from. Okay. I've seen Michelangelo's angel that he carved out of a rose-colored lump of marble. Can I just tell you, I just tell you that there's nothing beautiful at all in the monstrosity of the rock until the master takes his hammer and chisel and begins to pull an angel out of it. And here's a woman who the Bible bluntly says is a harlot. She runs a house of ill repute. And now suddenly God begins to, to, to bring some things about in her life and there's a response from her and god begins to do a work in her life and and today she would be viewed as repugnant and by the way her past alone would exclude her from fellowship and inclusion in a lot of high society churches today when in reality some of the greatest sin is committed in those very churches of hypocrisy, and judgmental condemnation. And so you have to walk with a certain amount of airs when here is a woman whose life was genuinely sordid because that was her culture. Listen to me, don't ever, don't ever be shocked when lost people act like they're lost people. You know why they act like they're lost people? Write this down, because they're lost people. Okay. I mean, they—they they, listen to me. They don't have your worldview. They don't have your moral scruples. They don't have the perspective that you have of having a relationship with a holy God. They can't see things from a holy viewpoint. And so some of the things that, that repulse you, that you find repul, re, repugnant, yeah, no big deal to them. It's just a part of their life. It's how they live. It's what they do. Okay? And so where you have certain boundary lines and certain convictions they don't they don't even understand how you do and quite frankly they think you're peculiar that's somewhere in the bible isn't it and 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 so uh i think it would be a help to us if we realize the world doesn't view life from our perspective now think with me for just a moment all right stay with me now stay with me how in the world could God use such a woman? I mean, think, think, think with me. I mean, she, there was nothing on her resume that would recommend her to us for our consideration. So, how could God use her? How could God choose somebody like that to use? Somebody, listen to me somebody with a past, somebody, somebody, somebody with a rap sheet of sin that listed their, their, long, their, their long list of grievances that they had committed against a holy God. Can I tell you this? And this is something we need to get so deep down within our craw uh, that, 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 that we never lose sight of it. And that is this, if God Almighty forgives a person for their trespasses against Him, we have no right to do anything other than forgive them also. And I don't care how perfumed our resume may be or how uppity our attitude may be, may God Almighty deliver us from that type of pharisaical mentality. Perhaps perhaps the early chapters of your life story aren't so attractive. They're pretty rough. Maybe, maybe, Maybe you're ashamed of what you were and what you did. Maybe maybe your story doesn't have a very good beginning, but it doesn't have to end there. It It doesn't have to define you. You don't have to live in your past. Let me tell you something about Jesus. He will accept you as you are, but He won't leave you there. Jesus will take you as you are, but he's not going to leave you there. God doesn't just save us from sin. He saves us to service. God's not just saving you. Listen, he's not just saving you to keep you out of hell. God is saving you to salvage you and to make something beautiful out of your life so that your life will be a walking, living, breathing testimony of the goodness and the grace of Almighty God. Salvation's, salvation takes us further, I think, sometimes than, than we realize. Just, just as he did with Rahab, God can take a tainted life and make something beautiful out of it. You know what she did? She saved her entire family. They gathered under her roof. He, the, the house that had been a place of prostitution was transformed into a rescue mission. The house of sin became a house of salvation. She married Salmon. Uh, a prince in, 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 in Israel out of the, the tribe of Judah, and her husband taking Rahab to be his wife showed amazing grace because he married a Gentile bride. Not that it's not that he just took a Gentile bride, but he took one that had a tainted past. Hello. Hello. If you've got a mirror, pull it out and look at it right now, because that's you, and that's me, and that's the church. The fact that there's a holy God who would take unto him a Gentile bride that has a past that is so connected to pagan sinfulness, grace. I'm telling you, a lowly harlot became a member of a family that she had no right to be a part of. That's, that's us. I'm, I'm just saying that we're saved by grace and now we're a member of the family of God and we're children of the God of mercy. Salmon and Boaz, by the way, had a son. Uh, 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 Salmon and Rahab had a son by the name of Boaz who also took a Gentile bride named Ruth. That's what the whole book of Ruth's about. So again, we see grace with a Gentile bride. Let me, let me say this to you. Listen. People that cannot show grace toward others have forgotten how much they were forgiven themselves. I would rather close the doors to this church and all of us go our separate ways than for us to get to the place to where we get so high and mighty about our, about our doctrinal perfection and the fact that we're, we're trying to live holy lives that we look down our noses at one single individual. God have mercy upon us. If we ever get to the place to where we can't show grace to people, it's because we have forgotten how much God has forgiven us. And we're writing our own newspaper clippings We're the editor and the writer and the reader and we're applauding ourselves over our spirituality. God have mercy that it it never be that way. Rahab's not only listed in Matthew chapter 1 in the lineage of Joseph, but in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 31, the Bible says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. So Rahab's listed in Hebrews chapter 11 what we call the hall of faith. Aren't you glad that God that God's grace can change your story midstream? Aren't, aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that in the middle of your story God came in and changed your story? It's not, it's, it's, it's not what you were that matters. It's what you become that counts. And I'm glad that God's able to do that. Well, wait a minute. Let's just take it one more second, and then we'll shift gears and go to our next point. Let's talk about Jericho. Look, look, with, me. look, look with me in chapter 6. Go to chapter 6. L- let me show you the curse on Jericho. All right? let's, look at, let's look at the curse on Jericho. Joshua chapter 6. Verse 26. And Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth, buildeth this city Jericho, he shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest he shall set up the gates of it. You know, let me, you know what that means? God said this, whoever, whoever tries to rebuild the city of Jericho after I bring the walls down is going to cost him his firstborn and his lastborn. That's the price he's going to pay. I'm bringing the city down. This is a cursed city. You rebuild the walls of this city, and you, whoever you are, whoever's tempted to do that, you're going to pay the price for that. Well, what happened? Go with, to, go with me to 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter number 16. You might write out beside Joshua six twenty six this verse. 1 Kings chapter 16 Verse 34, watch this, in his days did Heil, the Bethelite build Jericho, and he laid the foundation thereof in Abiram his firstborn, and set up the gates thereof in his youngest son Seagab, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Joshua the son of Nun. You know what I say when I read that? Son, are you kidding me? I mean, God said back to Joshua, hey, don't you build this. Don't you dare, this is a cursed city. You build this, you you build the walls I bring down and it's gonna cost you your firstborn and your lastborn. And then all these years later, here comes Heel the uh, Bethelite, and he says, I'm gonna do it anyhow, and he does it, and exactly what God said comes to pass. Because God had warned them, this is a cursed city, don't do it. Wow. That's not a lot of mercy, is it? Well, wait a minute, that's not the end of the story. Go with me to New Testament time. And Jesus, Jesus is passing through a city, and he hears the cry of a man called Bartimaeus. We know him as blind Bartimaeus. Okay, in our house, in our family, he's a popular name because when we would send one of the kids to find get the keys for me, and they would go in and come back and say, "Daddy, I can't find the keys," and the keys are right on the counter. We would go find the keys and say, "Hey, blind Bartimaeus, come here and show them the keys. So we use biblical examples to train our children, and and so that they can memorize the scripture. And and so if it was a girl, we called her blind Betty Maeus. But anyhow, you know, we're trying anyhow. So 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 Jesus is walking through the city. And, and this guy's screaming out. We, remember, we read it last week in, in the last study. And, and everybody says, hey, shut your mouth, man. Good night. You're making a lot of noise. And Jesus said, no, bring him to me. That was Bartimaeus. Guess where that happened? Jericho. It's a cursed city. But now Jesus is walking through the streets and healing people in a city that had been cursed. Guess who he found in a sycamore tree? Zacchaeus was a wee little man okay so you know the song and a wee little man was he and so Jesus said Zacchaeus come out of that tree I'm going to your house today today I'm going to your house today and Zacchaeus came down and Zacchaeus got saved now listen to me carefully where'd that happen Jericho and if you go with me to the Holy Land the best fruit that has ever been produced in the history of the known world is sold in the marketplaces of Bethlehem. You ask anybody that's ever been with me, there's no orange, there's no grapefruit, there's no, there's no nothing that tastes like the fruit in the Oasis City, just a stone throw from Gilgal where the children of Israel crossed over. Listen to me, just a hop from where Jesus was baptized in Jordan. And when he left his baptism, he came through. Jericho so what does that say to you and me well it's a cursed city and what God said did happen but do you know what God has shown to the city of Jericho even to this day grace I want to just tell you this folks listen to me listen to me I don't care I don't care what you did I don't care what your rap sheet is I don't care what people think about you. I don't care where you've been. I don't care how many scars you carry. I don't don't care how long you served. I, I don't care where you were fired. I'm just saying this. God's grace is greater than your past. Just greater. Please believe that. Please get to a place to where you let yourself go. From where you were and what you did and what your, what, what, your, what your past says about you, let yourself free. Because if you don't, you're selling the grace of God short. Number three, lesson number three from this, sometimes victory can lead to defeat. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but if you, if you read the story they, I mean, it was their first big victory under their belt and Jericho's now a pile of rubble and I have no doubt that Israel felt really good about the prospects of the new land. Uh, nobody, they hadn't lost one single person in that confrontation with Jericho and, 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 and you remember this, you obey and God blesses, but let me tell you the other side of that coin is if you disobey, God can't bless. And so we read it there in, 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 in uh, Joshua that, that uh, the Bible said if you take of anything in this city it's a curse, don't do it. And they let their guard down. First Peter 5, 8 Your adversary of the devil is a roaring lion. We're to be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary of the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom we may devour. You know what being vigilant means? Keep your guard up. Stay alert. Why? Because after, sometimes... Sometimes victory leads to defeat. Why? Because you get to a place where you won and you're sort of like, boy, that was something. We endured that. It's amazing. Do you know how many people on national news have stood up and talked about a trauma they're going through with a child that they've lost, been kidnapped or something? And they go through that battle together and they divorce and walk away from each other. Do you know why? Because they don't realize that when Jericho lays at your feet, Ai is right down the road. And when God has brought you through a traumatic experience, the tendency is to draw a deep breath and say, thank God I'm through that traumatic experience, and not realize that you've got something else coming. And if if you drop your guard, Satan is going to be ready to pounce it was a small town ai was i mean talk about not sweating the small stuff really the scouting report said that it's so insignificant that don't let's don't bring a lot chapter 7 look in chapter 7 look at chapter 7 verse number 3 and they returned to joshua that's the spies they said unto him um, that's the people he sent out for the scouting report letting all of the people go up but let about two or 3,000 men go up and smite Ai and make not all the people labor for there but a few. And after all, what could go wrong with such a small place after we just got through handling Jericho? I'll tell you what can go wrong. Absolutely everything. When you do it God's way, you get what God can do. When you do it your way, you get what you can do. And what happened to Israel there was that they, 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 their guard was dropped and somebody decided not to follow God's plan. Lesson number four, one sin equals many victims. One sin equals many victims. Achan ignored the word of God and foolishly thought he could somehow get by with it. The tragedy is this, he wasn't just gambling with his own life, he was gambling with the, he was gambling with the lives of his, uh, his fellow soldiers and of his family. That's, that's unfair. An army The army of Israel was routed, 36 brave soldiers. You can read it in in, in chapter six and seven, they they lay lifeless on the field of battle. Ultimately, it cost him his own family. And by the way, sin never impacts just one life. The collateral damage reaches a lot further than just your own front yard. Achan had no idea how many people would suffer because of his sin. And then the reality is once he did it, he, he couldn't control the, the consequences. It's like throwing a rock in the middle of a pond and somehow trying to wish the ripple effects away. You can sit, stand there on the bank and say, I wish these ripple effects would stop, but you can't control them once the rock hits the water. And so he became a victim. He became a victim of his own bad decision and becomes overwhelmed with the things. Notice chapter 7, verse 10 and 11. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou on the, upon thy face? Oh, Joshua just folded up. He's on the ground praying to God. And God said, Israel hath sinned. Wait a minute. Israel didn't sin. Israel didn't sin. I mean, Achan did. Then he said, And they plural, have also transgressed against my covenant which I commanded them, for they have taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen it and dissembled, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Wait a minute, no, 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 no. Israel didn't do this, Achan did. What God is showing us this. He's showing us that, 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 that our sin is never just a one and done. That's the lesson here. God is saying, Achan sinned and it impacted everybody. 36 men are dead. And now they're going to have to answer to me. Your sin never stops at your door, it always visits and interrupts the lives of others. Psalm 103, verse 8 The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenty of sin mercy. Well, let me ask you a question then. If that's true, where is the, where is the mercy of God in the story of Achan? Somebody show me the, the mercy of God. In the story of Achan, if God is merciful, where's his mercy with Achan? Well, go with me to chapter 7. Thirty-six men have been buried beneath the sod of Canaan. Thirty-six men, okay? They're dead. Now, God calls together the congregation of Israel, right? Watch this. Verse number 16. And Joshua rose up early in the morning, number one, and brought Israel by their tribes. Okay, now look at me. If you're aching, you know something's up. In his tent, in his tent, he's got, he's got this stuff buried. He knows something up. God says, I want everybody to come together. You remember the kid in the class that stole the... And the teacher said, I want all the class here. I want to know who did it. And everybody's standing there frozen. And the kid's not saying a word. Well, this is a lot bigger than that. And, and, and God said, bring all of Israel together. Bring them together. And, and Achan's thinking, oh boy. Oh boy. Here we go. That's number one. Number two, and the tribe of Judah was taken. Now, they're drawing lots. And so, 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 so he's got the whole place there. And, and Achan doesn't say a word. Hey, I know why we've been called. I'm sorry. I repent. I'm sorry. No, he, do- he doesn't say a word. And so then the tribe of Judah is taken. Everybody else is, everybody else is standing there. Not down, they're not. Now it's just down to the tribe of Judah. That's number two. Still silence. Look at verse 17. And he brought the family of Judah. Brought the family of Judah. And number four, and he took the family of the Zerites. And number five, he brought the family of the Zerites man by man. You don't hear a peep from Achan. Number six, and Zabdi was taken, and he brought his household man by man. All this time, Achan has an opportunity to say, I I did it! Why wouldn't he do that? Do you think that maybe? I don't know. But why wouldn't you confess? Are you hoping, perhaps, that somebody else takes the fall? Because the bloodhounds of God are out. They know something's wrong. 36 men died against peon AI. Something's wrong. So now it's being whittled down. He doesn't say a word. Israel's called. Not a word. Not a word. Not a word. The silence is deafening. Maybe he's waiting on, on it to fall on somebody else. I don't know. Does he hope that somebody else is accused falsely? I don't know, but all I know is that coming from him, there's nothing but silence. And then finally, verse 18, Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was taken, and he doesn't say a single thing until it's drugged out of him. First John 1 John 1:9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can I help you with this? Don't, don't, wait, don't wait until God puts you in a corner and shines a spotlight in your face to confess your sin. Get right. Get thoroughly right with God. The moment God the Spirit convicts your heart of a thought or an attitude or a word or an act of any kind that was not, that was not in harmony with His Word, get it right. Charles Spurgeon walked across the street in London and stopped in the middle of the street while carriages raced back and forth in front of him. And as he stopped there for a moment and bowed his head, he got to the other side and a friend was waiting on him. And he said, uh, uh, Mr. Spurgeon, I saw you stop in the middle of the street. Carriages going back and forth all around you. What were you doing? And Spurgeon said... In the middle of the street, God pointed out to me an attitude that was not in harmony with his word. And I could not wait till I reached the other side before confessing it and getting it right with God. Oh, let's keep short accounts with God and get our heart right. One sin, many victims, last of all, and I'm going to close, sin's never worth the price. Now here's what Achan thought. It's going to make me rich. You You know what? You you know what the the silver and the gold, you know what that was worth together? It was the salary of twelve shepherds for one year. So he could have lived over a decade on on what he stole. I don't know the Babylonian garment. Maybe he thought that was gonna be an heirloom. I don't I don't know. But I know this that he thought stealing that was gain. What he did not realize is the incredible price that he was going to have to pay. Was it worth it, uh, uh, Achan, in your sin in A.I.? Was it worth the 36 of Israel's finest whose families were mourning over them at that very moment? Can you imagine when they all gather together and Achan is brought forth? Can you imagine the mother, the wife, the children who looked at him and said, you, you cost the life of my loved one. Was it worth the lives of his wife, his sons, his daughters? He gambled their lives and lost. It just wasn't worth it. June the 28th, Saturday, 2008, the Oakey Springs Baptist Church from Springfield, South Carolina, pulled into the parking lot of Six Flags Over, Georgia. I've taken many youth groups there over the years exciting park as you pull in you can you can see the roller coasters as they come over the wooden tracks the old scream machine and and things there was the typical excitement as kids peered out the window and and talked rapidly about what they were going to ride first and they pulled into the park entrance the impatience of waiting on the leaders to get the tickets and then the meeting that you always have about when you're to meet us back here We'll meet back here and eat. Then you can go back and pairing them up and so on and so forth. And they began to hit one right after the other all the while making plans on what they were going to do and how they were going to ride them all before the day was out. It was so much fun and so much laughter and so much energy. But it would be a day that the people of Oakey Hills Baptist Church would never forget, could never forget. It would haunt them for the rest of their life Asia Lee Sean Ferguson was riding a roller coaster called the Batman I've ridden that very roller coaster suddenly while on the roller coaster his hat blew off he reached up on top of his head to try to grab it but it was too late just the momentum of the ride and the wind blew it out of his car down to the ground and it was gone. And you're thinking at that moment, okay, okay, Lee Shon, it's just a hat, forget it. It's not not, you can always replace that. I don't know what it was about the hat. I don't know, I don't know if it was his favorite team. I don't know if 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 it was a new hat that he had just bought, or maybe it was a hat that was given to him by somebody that had great sentimental value. I don't know. But on that ride, before it ended. LeSean Ferguson decided that he could not live without that hat. So after exiting the ride he and his cousin his cousin ran back around to the side of the ride where they could peer through the fence and his cousin made a foothold for him to climb up and and, and 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 if i remember the story correctly he helped him up and he he scooted over it and i, I i'm thinking as i read this story in the newspaper it's wait wait a minute this is no it's, it's not it's not worth it the hat isn't worth it, Lee Sean. It's not worth it. It's, don't, don't do it. Don't go there. Don't climb the fence. Stay back. Leave it alone. But there's the hat that he can't live without. And you can almost feel it as you see him run to the hat and you're screaming, don't, the hat ain't worth it. And what he does not see Is the roller coaster coming around and it hit him and knocked him over the fence and instantly killed him the hat was not worth the price that he paid now when I read about Aiken I want to say no a decade a decade isn't it worth it. No, no, you can scrape by for a decade, but you'll have your wife and your, 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 your daughters and your son. You'll you have your life. you have your future. It's just not worth it. Now, here's the reality. Here's the reality. Sin is never worth it. Sin's never worth it. And I have over the years of my life, I have have stood there and seen people go over the fence unaware of what's coming in the next few moments. And I'm screaming at the top of my lungs because I love them. that just isn't worth the price you're going to have to pay. That's the lesson of Achan to us, at least. God's grace in, 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 in the life of Jericho and in the life of Rahab. The reality that God does, does miracles, but we do marches. These are all lessons. But don't ever forget the fact that when we're contemplating something outside of the will of God and outside of the word of God, it always endangers us and those around us. Let's bow our heads, could we? It could be that there's a young person in this room right now contemplating a hat. I don't mean a literal hat. I mean, it's just something you think you can't live without. Well, you can. If it's outside of the will of God. If you've got to crawl fences and cross boundaries, you can live without it. It ain't worth it it's not worth your purity, it's not worth your future, it's not worth your loved ones, it's not worth it. Don't climb the fence. Stay on God's side. Do what what God tells you to do. We obey, God blesses. We obey, God blesses. That's what we all need. You're here and you're not saved, we'd like to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. We'll be glad to do that. We've seen so many people saved in the back rooms of this place. and Please don't leave with questions in your heart. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would do in us, through us, dear God, through your word, the things, Lord, that you would have us to see and decisions you'd have us to make. And we'll thank you for that. Help us to be obedient so that we can receive your blessings. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.